Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Search with Candor podcast. I'm Ayush Kumar and it's Thursday the 15th of August, so let's learn a bit about Search. So, Search Norwich 8 is now on the horizon. It's exactly two weeks away from now. And I'm very excited to hear from two veterans of the industry during it. So continuing on the build-up, we're going to be listening in on Eva Wilkes' talk from Search Norwich 5 earlier this year. And Eva gives a great talk about the Google Display Network, introducing it and giving a really objective view of its pros and cons and when to use it effectively. She further expands on display audiences and all the types that Google identifies and which you should be engaging with, as well as how remarketing exactly works and how to utilize such a powerful tool. I learned a lot about the display network from Eva's talk and I've really learned some great tactics to use in my own display campaigns and how to try and prevent wasted spend, which she says is Google's friend. So without further ado, here's Eva. It's really great to be here. Um, I've been allowed out for the evening. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, um, as Mark mentioned, um, I'm Fountain's brand manager. Um, my PPC experience has mostly been centred on display, um, and my uh, account management experience is in the uh, higher education sector, although that could be interpreted as high explosive as well, but it's obviously not, hopefully. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like Fountain, um, they've um, get a lot have had a lot of local press recently. Um, most recently for the Culture Shock event um, last week, which um, if anyone attended, I hope you really enjoyed um, talking about flat structured organisations and the benefits they bring is like a, a big deal to us right now. Um, and if anyone has any doubts about the authenticity of the sentiment from the directors downwards as to how great it is to be in a flat structured organisation, these are people who employ someone who will sit at a desk and talk to clients on the phone dressed in snorkeling gear. So I've uh, burdened them with my presence for four and a half years now <laughs> and um, I hope this sets the tone because I'm about to talk about display audiences and the Google Display Network, and that, to most people, is the antithesis of fun. <laughs> I wonder why. So what, what are the great things about the Google Display Network? It's freaking huge. Like, Google say that you can access 90% of internet users, and yes, that is Google saying that, so they would. But the practicalities of it are is that when you go in and you build audiences, you do see how big they are. And that is both a blessing and a curse because it means that, you know, much like a jetpack, um, you can get from where you are to where your goals are really, really quickly and really effectively, except if a buckle's slightly loose or if a valve is slightly loose or something goes wrong, it goes really, really wrong because of the size of the audience. So why am I starting by talking about audiences? When most people think about display, they think, oh, great, creative. Everyone loves creative. Ads, how do they look? What's, what's the best you know, graphics to use, the best calls to action, the best imagery? Wait, because audiences is basically such a fundamental starting point that display can, like, if you have, dis if you have creative that meets like, the basic best practice requirements, then it's really the audience side of things that are worth focusing on first. And there are some amazing options out there for targeting. Um, like I say, a lot of these audiences are huge. 
And that's where I say that, especially on Google, being vigilant, vigilant for nuanced settings designed to increase campaign reach, whether it's relevant to your goals or not, is really important because of the scale. So one of my favourite phrases is wasted spend is Google's friend. I'm going to skip straight past that. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, their goals as a huge monopoly um, is so different from the goals of a small business on the ground floor trying to you know, raise their bottom line. Google, Google come in and they think, hey, guys, we've got these amazing new features. It's really going to increase your reach. You're going to get to these new audiences. It's going to be amazing. You're going to grow. And you're like, OK, great. How? Because some of those audiences and a lot of those features need tightening up. And the audiences I'm going to talk about are the tight ones, the slightly more controllable ones, where you, you either know that um, the information you're putting in is very relevant to you, or you're in the safe waters of, say, remarketing. So let's get started. Um, there are audiences for every part of the funnel. And if we flip the funnel on its head and look at, uh, look at it as a scale, so awareness goals um, through to kind of interest goals and conversion goals, um, this first audience is, I've put an asterisk next to it because it's worth knowing about. If you work for an agency and you've got a client who gets sort of a certain amount of traffic, um, you might find this pop up in your analytics. It stands for Google Defined Likely Converters and it's worth looking out for because it's basically like unicorn poo. Google Defined Likely Converters are amazing. They are the users that are in your, um, your all users list um, for your website, that Google has layered up some signals that to Google suggest they are the most likely to, co to convert. So they are worth just putting into like RLSA campaigns, uh, that's um, uh, search, yes. Oh, I'll try not to touch on search. <laughs> but um, they're, they're basically look out for these guys because they are definitely worth remarketing to if you have clients uh, that are of the scale where this gets auto-populated into analytics. Um, I tried to speak to Google about it and said, hey, um, I've got one client that's got this. Why don't the others? And their response was really vague and wishy-washy. So I've been unable to get more information about those. And Googling it doesn't help, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> but I've put them in there because if you get them, they're great. Keep an eye out for it. So the next audience, right down at the conversion end of the funnel, remarketing the classic all users list, mostly associated with e-commerce because you go on a shoe site, you look at some shoes and then they follow you around for weeks and weeks and weeks. That is such an unimaginative use of remarketing. There are so many ways that like, the all users list, for example, can be used <laughs> that are sort of more engaging, a bit more creative um, and a bit more strategic. So. Um, that is the popular association with remarketing is being followed around by products. But um, I will get on to other ways of using that all users list because it's a safe space to operate in. You're not getting uncontrollable audience expansion when you focus on the all users list, providing that you don't miss a few key settings. Throughout this presentation, there are traps. I will uh, we'll talk about those when they come up. So the next audience is intent and in-market. So this is where Google looks at signals that suggest that someone's in a buying frame of mind. And um, you go into Google Ads and you can say, OK, well, I've got these products. I want to sell them to a certain niche audience. But you still can't see how Google is defining this niche audience. 
similar audiences. So if you've got remarketing lists on your site for certain pages and you've got over a certain traffic volume, Google will automatically populate analytics with audiences similar to ones that you've um, kind of defined yourself, which is really handy. And finally, affinity. So affinity audiences are like intent and in market. It's where Google has kind of said, OK, well, these people really like this based on multiple signals, including search behavior, even like what videos they've watched on YouTube, that kind of thing. Um, but with intent and in, in, intent and in market and affinity, you've got the option of building custom audiences. And I'll come on to those later. So alongside the audiences, you've got your usual uh, other targeting techniques that you can layer into your campaign to bring the sizes of those audiences down. Because if you obviously only go for the um, audience definitions themselves, they're going to be like that. Like when you, when you populate it and it tells you how many impressions you'll get, you'll get like 10 billion or something crazy like that. So then you start to also narrow down within the campaign settings other factors. So awesome audience one, the remarketing all users list. It's safe waters in terms of preventing unwanted expansion. And it's, oh yeah, I forgot I put that quote in. Um, it's an opportunity to get creative in terms of how you keep people in your sales funnel. So I've put here that 1% of articles generate 75% of social shares, which is a recently released study from Backlinko that I enjoyed perusing. Um, I thought this was quite interesting because it basically said that yeah, like black swan articles and content um, just hoover up all of the social shares. So why am I talking about sharing? Well, think of the amount of time um, you put into sharing amazing content that you've made. You'll have a fantastic article on the site that you've invested time in. And social sharing um, will only expand to your following unless you boost. Boosts are quite expensive. Cost per click in Boost is really expensive. On the Google Display Network that reaches such vast quantities of people, impressions are free. <laughs> it's free advertising. Um, and you only pay if someone clicks. And with the all users list, those clicks tend to be really, really cheap, generally less than a pound. So when you think about like how much time am I spending promoting organically, versus um, how I could be targeting with paid, it is worth weighing up whether you're actually spending more through time, and you know, time is money, um, as to whether it's worth um, really, really pushing that, or you could just push it out to the Google Display Network. Yeah, so another great thing about remarketing is that it's scalable according to budget. Um, you can have a budget of five pounds a day, 50 pounds a day, 500 pounds a day, but um, you'll still get benefits from it at whatever end of the budget scale you're on. So it's a really good way of increasing high converting return traffic. You know they're already interested in you. They've already been to your site. Um, increasing the lifetime value of existing customers by staying front of mind um, and getting your best content seen. So I call this the smorgasbord because I really, really believe in giving users the choice of how they re-enter your, um, your content funnel. So let's say you've got six articles, and each article you've created a set of ads, or even just a few ads, the most popular sizes on the Google Display Network, for example, and you've created an ad group for each article, and um, you've created a page audience in analytics for each article. So what happens is that 
a user will then, if, if you load this into a remarketing campaign, a user will see all of those ads and they get to choose how they re-enter your site. It's not just a generic brand ad that you have to limit because you don't want to bore them to death. They're getting the full spectrum of your services and what you can offer that user. Um, you can obviously make it more complex than that. This is quite a simplified example. You can say, okay, well, if someone's been to this page, they get this set of ads. If someone's been to that page, they get that set of ads. And you can dial it down and make it as complex as you want. But at the most simplistic level, you can still do it with very little effort. So yeah, article plus ad plus page audience. So you widen the appeal because user interest dictates the entry point. You increase impressions with more ad groups, and you also don't bore people at the same time because they're not just seeing the same brand ads over and over again. Um, showcase expertise across multiple capabilities. Once 100 users per audience is reached, users stop seeing ads for content they've already viewed. That's where the page audience comes in, because what you can do is you can then exclude um, the page audience. Uh, you, you basically set up exclusions so that um, Oh, I'm trying to think of how to describe it without getting really, really complicated. Um, basically, if you have one ad and you exclude an audience for other ads, then you can stop people seeing one they've already viewed and stop them getting sort of bored, like, oh, why am I seeing this one? And if you're loading them in, er in regularly, all it looks like is that you're all over the internet with your fantastic content. So it's really, really worthwhile, because what if a really hot prospect has landed on your site. And there might be a couple of articles on there, and this really is relevant to the B2B space. There's a couple of great articles on there that maybe might have swayed them into considering you more deeply had they seen them. Well, why take that chance? Why not just kind of start to occupy the internet with your content for free, because impressions are free? But you know that because it's the all users list, any clicks that come from that campaign are going to be super relevant. So they're worth the 90p or whatever it is you're spending. So important considerations. Exclude games under content exclusions. Does anyone know why I've included this? Anyone want to volunteer? No, very quiet. Oh, go on, go on. Someone must. And in the ads that show within games. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's they do, but not from the people you want. They usually get lots of attention from babies. Right. <laughs> babies and toddlers. This is the get rid of the babies and toddlers. Basically, um, a few months ago, Google announced that they were disabling AdSense for mobile apps. And any, any account manager who's dealt with a display campaign will have gone, no, because that's bad. <laughs> AdSense for mobile apps is where you get to get rid of baby clicks, where... Um, Google thinks, hey, we've targeted your target audience. We're on their phone. And they don't realize that their target audience has handed their phone to their children. That is a really big problem. And that, that's where you get rid of them. So um, I take a blanket approach because in, like, uh, this is subjective to me. But I think if I'm playing a game, I don't want an ad in there anyway. And I don't want to be that brand that's going, hey, <laughs> click me, click me. Like, no, that's, I just don't like it. So I will always go in and exclude games under content exclusions. So set to rotate indefinitely. Why? Because um, you don't actually want to optimize this campaign. You don't want Google to be able to say, hey, this ad's performing really well because like 10 people have clicked it. We're going to show it more often because the whole purpose of the campaign is to rotate those ads evenly so that you know at some point someone will see something relevant to them.
time your content well and get monster CTRs. So, um, oh, I think it was around this time last year. Yeah, we were running uh, we were running a small version of this kind of smorgasbord approach, um, and we had an ad about GDPR. This got a 16% click-through rate, which is just nuts for a display remarketing campaign, and it was just because of the timing. So that's another way that you can really, really use this. Again, I'm going to completely reinforce free impressions, cheap clicks. What are you waiting for? So, oh yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> Not what everything what I've just been talking about, but this specific thing. Recommended settings. Google thinks it's being really friendly and helpful. It's not. So this one is um, about automated targeting. So during the campaign setup, you'll encounter this. So I've put here, retain control over who you are targeting and disable audience expansion when creating remarketing campaigns. This is a recommended setting. So if you skip this, you don't expand that box and you skip it by accident, you'll find that you're not targeting your all users list. You're targeting your all users list plus people that, think that Google thinks is appropriate and you don't get to define who those are. So don't bother, like always disable it in a remarketing campaign. Oh, gosh, there's another one straight away. ECPC. So um, this is an automated bid strategy um, which optimizes your campaign, which lets you take a hands-off approach. But in this context, where you want the rotate indefinitely setting on, using uh, ECPC will override it. So just turn it off. I've put a little smiley face there next to the settings. PowerPoint smiley faces are somewhat creepy. <laughs> They're just a little bit creepy. I don't like them. Anyway. Oh yeah, so we're going to ride straight back up the funnel um, and talk about awareness. So approaching those massive audiences where there's a little bit more risk. And I'm going to talk about custom affinity because I freaking love them. <laughs> so this is for when Google's own definitions don't quite cut it. So when you go into normal affinity audiences, looking at the time, oh my god. Um, <laughs> So normal affinity audiences, um, let's say education, for example, but that's because where most of my experience is. I'll go in and I say, okay, well, I want people interested in higher ed. Um, and I'll look at the settings and I will find that they don't go niche enough. <coughs> so even with the extra targeting options of keywords, blah, 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 the audiences are still too big. They're not niche enough because if, I've, if I'm looking for like higher ed students after maths degrees, I'll still get online courses included in that and things that just aren't relevant enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I've uh, borrowed my colleague Danny here. I don't think he knows. So he's going to see the video at some point and get into trouble. But... <laughs> Um, so, um, another thing about custom affinity is that um, it's really, really relevant for when it, you're an agency and you've got a client who comes to you and says, uh, hey, we've spent thousands of pounds on the consultancy to tell us who our target market is and we've developed these amazing, amazingly expensive personas and we want you to find us these people. My first question when they do this is, so what? You, you told me that this guy is interested in, like, he's really kind of, he's really picky about his drones. Like, I don't know, he, Danny races drones. But um, <laughs> it's, it's a bit too, like, it, it's too separate from the actual targeting capabilities that are within the platform. So um, where does a persona intersect with platform targeting abilities? And this is where custom affinity comes in really useful. And it is the hard bit 
because the platform's going to push back and be like, no, use our black boxes where you can't quite see how it's defined. And we're like, no, we need these people. We don't. So yeah, this is where we fight back. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> so when the platform wins, that's where wasted spend happens. But so this is how this is how we basically like um, take control off Google, stop the black boxes happening. Um, and it's great for accountability because it's brilliant to be able to say to your client, "Hey, this is the platform. These were the limitations, and these are your goals. This is how we found a way around it. This is the impact on your bottom line." So it's it's really really useful. So these are all the things that you can put into a custom affinity audience to define it. So we've got competitor URLs, competitor keywords, interest keywords, interest URLs, and action URLs. There are probably some more. I've forgotten. But they're the main ones uh, that I've used. So you take those and you, you, you kind of you make a spreadsheet. And, you, and you, you, need about, you need more than 15. I tend to use 30 because then I know that uh, my first audience will have like 10 of each and I can work from there upwards. So this is where we <coughs> tell the platform what we want them to use to the audience, what definitions they should use for the audience. And this is just visual breadcrumbs on how to uh, get to where you put that information within Google Ads, which you can look at on the video later. So why test these audiences? Why not just let them run once you've defined them? Well, continual optim optimization equals continual improvement. Don't really need to expand on that. You can't tell what signals are taking precedence unless you engineer comparison. This is where client accountability comes into it. If they go to you and say, why is this working? You can say, ah, well, here's the information. And efficiency. It's faster to implement testing creative, uh, faster to implement than testing creative when you can't edit in-house. I mean, I don't know if anyone else has been in that classic scenario where you've gone, right, we need to work on some campaign improvements, what should we do? And someone has gone, we will change the call to action button from blue to green. A week later, a committee has formed. Someone else has gotten involved and gone, oh, well, while we're there, I didn't really like that background image, so uh, let's try a few more variants, can we? And also, maybe actually we've had a complete change of messaging. Oh. Two weeks later, all you wanted was some optimization goals, and you've got like a freaking, you're basically drowning in bureaucracy. So because this is an in-platform thing, and no one else needs to know because it's just part of your routine optimization. It's a great opportunity to bring marginal gains into a campaign without having to involve committees, basically. So what do you get once you've defined your first audience? You've got your ad groups. Let's say you've got three sets of creative. You've got audience one that looks like this. And maybe it's like competitor URLs, a few interest keywords, and some interest URLs. <coughs> then you create others that are variants of it. And what you get eventually is a whole <coughs> bunch of combinations. Once a month, you look at uh, behavior metrics on analytics, because this is an outreach campaign, so you're interested in how many pages people are viewing per session, what the bounce rate is, and the click-through rates uh, within AdWords itself. And you just kill off the bottom performing 50% and start the process all over again. So important considerations. Customer affinity requires three weeks to complete a learning phase where the algorithm goes, oh, thanks for that info. I now need to do some homework. So adding, adding and assessing audiences should be a monthly task. Don't just look at click-through rates to analyze performance. Look at it alongside behavior. Um, 
Log audience definitions in a spreadsheet, this caught me out the first time I did this, um, alongside results. So you can spot trends in what signals work best for that client and sector to inform future campaigns. If you can go to a client, or even after some experience with this, you can go to a future client and say, well, I really need this information from you about your competitors or like more information about what you think your customers' interests are because we found in running these campaigns previously that this type of information works really well for your specific sector in your specific situation. That's great. That's that these audiences give you IP that you can then use in, in other contexts. Um, oh yes, this type of testing will always result in campaigns being limited by spend and that's okay because you're working with like huge numbers. Um, I would s recommend sticking with manual CPC for a clicks goal campaign, but test other bid strategies via experiments if you use this for conversion goals. So um, the methods I'm talking about are really, really relevant for businesses with really long buying cycles because it's really top of the funnel. Um, you can use the same audience testing strategy lower down, but I would run, uh, use the actual campaign experiments feature in Google Ads um, to test other things like um, bid strategies. Oh yeah, another trap. Users from India who like the Queen and or Manchester United. <laughs> so <laughs> avoid the recommended setting, it's another one, thanks Google. Uh, people in or interested in your target location. Anyone been caught out by this? It's another one of those drop downs where if you don't spot it and you think, hey, I'm targeting the UK, what's going on here? You look at your location report and find that 90% of you know, your users are coming in from India. It's because they've probably clicked on an article about what Meghan Markle has been wearing that day that's on some Indian news website and expressed an interest in the UK. But Google thinks they're being really helpful by letting us expand our reach. <laughs> so always... Um, like I would, I would recommend that if you wanted to target other, you know, if, if you've got multiple geographical campaigns going on, that they should be all separated out as campaigns. They shouldn't be the same campaign. And that lets you control other settings as well. So, yeah, avoid this one. Um, yeah, so quick recap. Um, content remarketing, using that all users list. Known quantities more likely to convert. Take advantage of cheap clicks to get your knowledge seen and stay front of mind with potential converters. Customer affinity lets you retain control, eliminate that black box, of, over how audiences are defined, letting you incrementally improve campaign performance, and be aware of traps in campaign setup. Google thinks it's helping you reach more users, but what you want to focus your media spend on ooh, is more better users. My dad's going to see this, and I'm going to get in trouble for using bad grammar. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that was Eva Wilkes at Search Norwich 5, giving her talk Awesome Audiences. I hope you enjoyed it and took something away from it. We're hosting Search Norwich 8 on the 29th of August, and we have two top speakers attending. We'll have Chris Green from StrategyQ, and he'll be teaching us about some technical SEO. And we'll have Lexi Mills from Shift6 Global, who'll be talking about some much-loved content and PR SEO. There'll also be some free beer and pizza, so be sure to come. You can see further details at searchnorwich.org and I'll link to this and any other resources in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. I hope you'll have a fantastic week and I'll catch you in the next episode.